The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bokulig. I am your host. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Bryce Kirk. Bryce, it's good to be with you again. Always good to be back with you, Michael. First podcast of the year. That's Ready to right. get it going. Yeah, this is the first podcast episode of 2022. Can you believe it? We're already in 2022. I know. It seems like last year just flew by. <laughs> it sure did. So we'll see how this goes, huh? Yeah, definitely. Bryce and I are once again here in the upper room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Springdale, Arkansas. And the upper room was recently repainted, so there's this fresh feeling in here now, and God willing, it'll continue to be our primary recording location for many podcast episodes to come. We are now on the other side of the feasts of both the Nativity and Theophany, and we're also more than a week into the new year, as we've mentioned, and it's already been a very busy start to 2022, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, we hit the ground running as a parish, and I think as uh, individual people as well with both of our families, you know, getting ready to go with the new year. I had a wedding to start off the year, which it's always interesting. But uh, yeah, man, we're we're getting it going pretty quick already. So. And I have to mention, the Hogs won their bowl game. They had a great finish to the year. So hey, as far as University of Arkansas football is concerned, we finished on a positive note and we're ready for next year. That's true. That's true. We got the national championship coming up here too as well. So a lot of exciting things in the athletic world and a lot of exciting things uh, in the Orthodox world as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, in our last episode of Coming Out of Chaos, it was really a fun one. It was the first time we had guests join us for a podcast episode, and they weren't just any guests. We had two Greek Orthodox priests join us. Father Michael Marcantoni and Father Joseph Collins both joined us for our last episode, and wow, did they have some incredible insights to share. We have had a lot of great feedback from some of our listeners on that episode, so we hope to bring more guests on with us in future episodes. But that conversation that we had with Father Michael and Father Joseph, it was really something, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at our YouTube page, there's a section where Michael and I had to kind of stop the main <laughs> podcast recording and go, whoa, <laughs> we got to talk about what just happened. Yeah. So it was really a blessing to be able to speak with both of those men. Um, I've learned a, a great deal from both of them already. So I think that uh, going forward, if we choose to have more guests on, the more the merrier. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely an eye-opening episode, and I learned quite a bit from both of those priests that joined us. And uh, I think it's given us a lot to chew on, a lot to ponder, and even more that we can kind of dig into together. So I'm excited for what's coming, especially in, uh, in 2022 and the coming year that we have in front of us. Well, Bryce, I just so happen to also have a birthday that's coming up less than a week from now. I'm going to be turning 41 in just a few days. And I've spent a little bit of time reflecting on my life over the past few days. I turned 40 last year, and for many of us, that's kind of a grim milestone because it signals that we're entering our middle age, or so I've heard. A lot of people really dread entering middle age, and I've seen a lot of greeting cards that try to make light of it. And there's so many birthday cards created specifically for people who are turning 40. I'm not so sure there's many for turning 41. I don't think that's quite as popular. I was able to avoid most of those over-the-hill jokes in the cards I received last year. And, and Bryce, I don't think you have to worry about receiving one of those kinds of birthday cards for quite a while. Probably not, but it's <laughs> going to hit me like a freight train when it does. And for the record, Michael, you don't look a day over 39. Oh, that's kind of you. So, <laughs> you know, you have that to look forward to. You still have your youth. Oh, I hope so. God willing. As I've been reflecting, though, I've come to realize there's actually a lot of positives with getting older. For example, getting older naturally brings forth a, a kind of sobriety to our lives. And I've come to realize it's really a necessary sobriety because ultimately life has an end and we're all going to be judged. And our lives better amount to something because life is a gift from God. 
And life is not just for ourselves, it's for our neighbor. And we've talked about the fact that you only find yourself in service to your neighbor. And Bryce, you and I have mentioned previously that in the Orthodox Church, we have a liturgical calendar. So we have, you know, we have seasons of fasting, we have feasts that are celebrated during the calendar year. And also every Sunday has a theme, although most Sundays actually have multiple themes. We have a Sunday called the Sunday of the Last Judgment in the Orthodox Church, and it's the third Sunday using the Lenten Triodion, which is the liturgical book used in the services of Great Lent. It's the Sunday after the Sunday of the Prodigal Son, and it's also the Sunday before Forgiveness Sunday. This is the third week of the pre-Lenten start of the Easter cycle of worship in the Orthodox Church. But that Sunday also has another name. Do you remember what that is? Oh, you bet I do, Michael. (laughs) What is that Sunday also known as? It is, well, just to preface, it's one of the best days of the year, and it's also (laughs) one of, perhaps for some, the most dreaded day of the year. It is. And it is uh, Meat Fair Sunday. Meat Fair Sunday, that's right. And what is Meat Fair Sunday, Bryce? Why don't you explain to the folks? Yeah, so, (laughs) well, Michael, I mean, Meat Fair Sunday is traditionally the last day before Easter that Orthodox Christians who observe the fast of Great Lent can eat meat. Does that include steak, Bryce? Unfortunately, it does. Oh, man, yeah. A fast is observed from meat all week long after Meat Fair Sunday, but you can still eat dairy products and eggs until the start of Great Lent. And then it all goes out, right? Right, right. The day before is Cheese Fair. So Cheese Fair is the following Sunday, and so the church kind of eases us into the fast where we give up meat first, and then the following Sunday, we kind of give up all the rest, which right. includes your dairy. Which is also the purpose of the triodion in a way, is it's getting you ready mm-hmm. to kind of wake up and say, oh, the fast is here. And this year, in 2022, I believe it starts within the next two or three months. We're mm-hmm. recording this in January, and that comes by so fast. I'm still thinking about the last Pascha that we had. Yeah. And so it's it's coming quick, but the church gives you warnings to get ready. Indeed. And getting back to the first theme of that Sunday being of the Last Judgment, the Gospel reading for that Sunday remembers Christ's parable of the Last Judgment, which we find in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 45. This adds to the themes of the previous pre-Lent Sundays and teaches that it is not enough to see Jesus, to see ourselves as we are, and to come home to God as his prodigal sons. The church teaches that in addition, one must also be God's sons by following Christ, his only begotten divine son, and by seeing Christ in everyone and by serving Christ through them. So salvation and judgment will depend on deeds, not merely on intentions or even on the mercies of God apart from personal cooperation and obedience. Therefore, all piety and prayer is ultimately directed towards the goal of serving Christ through his people. It is a critical lesson, Michael, that we do often gloss over, I think, with the fast. In one of our prior episodes, when we were talking about the article written by uh, Huria Frederica Matthews Green, she was talking about a young man who was in a church where the priest had told him that Great Lent is more about learning how to love yourself. And Mm. this is from a Roman Catholic church, right? um, which is, it's a different thing to hear from somebody, and it's not the correct thing to hear. It's about really you know, praying more for people. It's about performing almsgiving and mm-hmm. keeping the fast at the same time. You know, if I abstain from meat for 40 days, if I abstain from cheese, if I do everything I'm supposed to do for 40 days and I'm still a jerk to my brother, yeah, or I'm still yelling at people with road rage, I'm not really following the fast to its fullness. Right, exactly, Bryce. And so if we seek to have a full and complete life, and for those listening, don't tell me you don't seek it because it's born into us to do something with our lives. If we don't actualize that, and if we don't fulfill that, our lives are a waste, and there's no excuse for wasting our lives. Now, maybe God will be merciful and we can squeak in anyway for the good we have done here or there, but our lives are still fundamentally useless because we haven't done anything with it. Now, I know when I say that, if you're at all awake, and I hope that you are, but I think that you are, because if you weren't, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. It should rouse you to action. And when you hear that, your soul goes, yes, I know I'm created for something better. I know, at least I hope, that there's a purpose to this life. And maybe, just maybe, God has put me here to do something lasting and enduring. Right, you know, and and hoping that we can just squeak in anyway 
is a mentality that many have in their efforts, orthodox or not, mm-hmm. because you know people think that living a moralistic life and just being a good person is good enough at the end of the day. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to just be a good person? Yeah. Does it mean to just be nice to people? Does it mean to not cause any trouble? Does it mean to hold your tongue all the time? What is it? What does it actually mean? It, and perhaps what it does mean is living a life for God and not wasting it doing things that don't matter. You know, vain pursuits, as one of the saints says. And so, you know, I think that learning how to do the fast, I think that learning to talk to your spiritual father, learning that you're not going through things by yourself. You're yeah. not the only one in the world doing this thing. Yeah, and another thing that came to mind as you were talking, Bryce, is the importance of almsgiving. And you mentioned that earlier. A lot of times we approach as Orthodox Christians Great Lent with the best of intentions to keep the fast and to pray a little bit more. But sometimes we forget about that almsgiving part. You know, part of the fast is that theoretically we should be spending less money on food and giving that excess money to the poor through almsgiving. And thinking about doing good deeds, right? We mentioned that earlier and that doing good deeds are important. You know, if we're not focused on our neighbor, if we're not focused on the poor, if we're only thinking about ourselves and sitting at home, kind of sitting on our hands, we're really sabotaging our own chance for salvation. Because again, you just are hoping that you've been a good enough person, right? That God will still let you into the kingdom. But in order to be faithful, the deeds, the good deeds will naturally come out of our faithfulness, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Michael, the last thing you said really resonates with me, and I hope it resonates with our listeners as well. And it made me think of the epistle of James, chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So, with that, I really think that, you know, it is important to remember that, oh, you know, I just did a good thing. Like, oh, hey, I acknowledge somebody, which is obviously a great thing to do. But if you're in a position to help them, Mm -hmm. and this is something where I need to step up, you know, if I'm in a position to help somebody, Maybe I know them, maybe I don't. Maybe I really am close to them. Maybe I kind of know them. It doesn't matter. If there's a need that can be filled that you are capable of helping with, or you know somebody that's capable of helping with it and is willing to help, take that shot, you know? And that's something that I think we really need to remember. And we're only a couple months away from the beginning of Great Lent, too. That's right. Yeah, that's a really great perspective, Bryce. And the truth is, God has really put us here, us as men. He's put us here to do something lasting and enduring. And we really need to start thinking of ourselves as warriors for Christ. Now, being a warrior has a very specific definition, but I'll tell you what we're not going to do in this podcast is we're not going to self-censor. We are not going to self-censor. Now, what do I mean by self-censoring? You will, if you listen to your own heart, when we talk about being a warrior or we talk about manhood and we talk about authentic masculinity, You will feel something inside that says, you know, we're really not allowed to talk about this stuff. You'll feel yourself wanting to self-censor or to tone it down. Why is that? I do think, Michael, that frankly, a lot of people are worried in today's society, men and women both, about what they say, how it resonates with other people. Gives me a great deal of anxiety in some interactions I have because I am so deathly afraid of offending another person. And, you know, if something is said that shouldn't have been said, then an apology is owed, and hopefully it is reciprocated properly. But, you know, like, it makes me think of Father Thomas Hopko, Blessed Memories podcast, which is excellent if you've never listened to it, called Speaking the Truth in Love. Mm -hmm. And that is a principle or a concept that I think is very orthodox in nature. I think it's very Christian in general, being able to speak the truth in love, speaking it what needs to be said in the way in which it should be said. And that's really hard because a lot of the time, you know, something simple that should be said, you may be afraid to step on your friend's toes. 
if they don't do the dishes. You know, you don't want to offend them. You don't want to get mad at them. Or it can be a bigger thing, you know, and, and none of these things are easy and they're not comfortable. And I think that's the most important thing because sometimes discomfort is a temporary thing. Right. But it's like when you're, it's like when you're exercising. If I'm sitting underneath the bench press mm-hmm. and I'm pushing on the last rep and I'm uncomfortable, I want to drop this weight on my chest, I'm done, but you push through that, mm-hmm. you're going to see the dividends. You're going to get stronger. Right. And that's, you know, that's just with practical application within yourself because a lot of these thoughts, you know, that you're afraid of are not from you. And it's stuff that probably won't matter. I read somewhere once that 95% of your worries never come to fruition. Mm. And that's something that I keep very close to my heart because... I'm somebody who worries, you yeah. know, and, and I don't want to do that anymore because it takes courage. Yeah. And as you were talking, Bryce, I was thinking about the conversation we had in our last podcast episode and what Father Joseph Collins said about the fact that we as men are constantly living in a perpetual state of fear, worrying about what we say, what we do, who we might offend all the time. And that this has really contributed to the state that many men find themselves in today where it's almost kind of secondhand nature for us to want to self-censor because we're so just terrified about what the reaction would be if we say the wrong thing. Bryce, you and I attended an Orthodox Christian men's retreat a couple of years ago in Dallas, Texas, and it was hosted by St. Seraphim Orthodox Cathedral, which is a cathedral in the OCA. Our spiritual advisor to the Antiochian men, Father Hans Jacobsi, was the keynote speaker at that retreat. He offered his own perspective on this topic of why men have the tendency to self-censor themselves. He said that we tend to self-censor because the dominant culture wants men feminized and that there are forces who don't want us to understand what authentic and real masculinity is. He went on to say that those people want to distort our calling to grow into our own manhood. Then Father Hans went a little bit deeper with his comments, and I want to quote what he said next. Here's what he said, quote, there is a great war on men in this culture, on authentic masculinity, and it is waged on two fronts. It is waged on the fronts of homosexualism and feminism. Now, what do those two things have in common? They have in common a distorted definition of what it means to be a man. The homosexualist side defines the real need for male-to-male communion It defines that, it knows that, but it sexualizes it. They just see man as a copulator. That's all it is. Man is copulator, man is consumer. You exist only to feed your desires, no matter what that desire might be. On the feminist side, there is a definition of man propagated that sees man as a kind of male-formed female. They say that men would be better men if they would become more like women. And so the soft virtues are elevated and they're redefined. And the hard virtues like courage and valor, self-sacrifice, are ridiculed and mocked so they can be put to the side. And this idea has flowed into the culture with such virulence that men get lost. And men are lost. And this lostness is a crisis of the first order. It is an institutional, civilizational, and spiritual crisis of the first order, unquote. Bryce, I remember being there at that retreat with you when Father Hans said those words. And up until that point, I hadn't really heard anything like that before. But when I really started to think about it, so many things started to make sense that I had been confused about for a long time. Father Hans never ceases to surprise us with some of the things that he says, <laughs> at least in the sense that you never, I've never heard uh, a clergyman, you know, yeah. pastor, right. priest, whoever, I've never never heard anybody talk about this stuff before. Yeah, me either. And, you know, I, I do understand confusion mm. for a lot of men, and I think a lot of people are confused and perhaps they don't know why. And I do think that there is an issue in which men have a hard time in general, especially, and again, like most of my friend group, most of the people that I hang around with are either Orthodox or, you know, general Christians. And I do think that there's a general confusion of how do I be a man? What is, what does that mean? And I'm, I still find myself asking that question sometimes because again, you can see the culture, you can take the culture in, you can choose to reject it or not, at least in how you apply it to your own life. But it's definitely a crisis in the sense that a lot of men don't know what's next. And some people have to figure it out for themselves. At least they believe that to be true. 
but other people it's a much more difficult path to follow. Yeah, and I think what you're describing too is the result of the civilizational and cultural rot that is happening in our world that threatens its very survival, which is to say it threatens the very soul of man. It's it's really that dangerous. As Father Hans has said, we can't let the assaults of homosexualism and feminism define what authentic manhood is. Again, we need to look at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the ontological grounding of manhood. Now, some of our listeners may not know what the word ontological means. I must admit, it wasn't until recently (laughs) that I even knew what that meant. But I'll define it. It means being or who you are. We often ask ourselves, what are we? The real question we should ask is, who are we? Because our own manhood, our masculinity, our own personhood is grounded in union and communion with Christ. This is something that only Orthodox Christianity understands. And within the Orthodox Christian faith, we understand that the man who grows closer to Christ and develops in his communion with Christ also becomes more fully who he is. So in other words, growing closer to Christ is not an escape from reality. Growing closer to Christ is actually to embrace a deeper reality and living in the world as it is. Because you see it as it is. And if you're going to see it as it is, then you will grow to become the person that God created you to be. So the point that you just made reminds me of something I heard once from somebody, and this is something that I've applied to myself, is, you know, why stick with Christianity? Why stick with God? Why stick with Christ? That whole whole thing. And you're always going to suffer. And in a world kind of overrun, shall we say, at least in our culture, by nihilism. A lot of people asking the question over and over and over again to themselves, it doesn't matter. Why does it matter, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're suffering. They're going through the ins and outs of everyday life, and they don't get a whole lot of fulfillment from that. Yeah. But what I discovered was that Christ does give purpose to that suffering. And through that suffering, it isn't just an escape. It's not an escape at all. It's a seeing reality, because truth is not just a concept or a principle, it's a man, and that man is Jesus Christ, who is God, right? And so if Christ is for us, then who can be against us? And I think that that's important to remember too, especially when you're trying to speak the truth in love. And again, it could be a simple thing. You could feel like the entire weight of the world is on your shoulders, but growing closer to Christ through conversations with your spiritual father, through being involved in a brotherhood of men at your parish or elsewhere, you know, athletics, things like this, these all speak to you growing in relationship with other people and therefore you growing within yourself. And I've learned this through a lot of things. You know, Michael and I both played high school sports and being able to be in a group of men, you know, learning how to be a teammate, learning how to lead your teammates. And now at our parish, both of us are in somewhat leadership role capacities and we're learning from ourselves and we're learning from other people through what we're doing. And so that's a struggle, but it speaks to a greater purpose. Yeah, and I also wanted to add, you know, living in the world as it is means everything, right? Even what may seem like something very mundane. So all of the things that maybe we're responsible for in our household, maybe some of you out there have children, and it can become very mundane to do the same thing over and over again with our kids to get them ready for school, to get them on the bus, to actually spend time with them after school. This can really wear on us because these are the mundane parts of our lives that at some point we maybe are tempted to just try to escape. But in doing that, that's escaping reality. It's just trying to escape living in the world as it is. And each of those little opportunities, the spending time with our kids instead of you know, watching a movie by ourselves, actually waking up early and and helping with getting the kids on the bus instead of just relying on our spouse or on our wife to do it for us. All of those things are important moments that help us in our service, right, to our family, to our children, to become more like Christ who came to serve and not to be served. So this can get very practical. It can be as simple as doing the dishes for your wife so she can have a break. These are the little things that help us to become more like God through our service to our neighbor. And you know, you often hear people say that life is a journey, and it really is a cliche, but at the same time, there's a lot of truth to that. And the most exhilarating journey a man can undertake is the journey of self-discovery. 
The sad truth is that in general, men don't know who they are anymore. They don't even believe that it is legitimate to start the journey, the search for who they really are. As Father Hans told us at that men's retreat in Dallas, it's because of these assaults of homosexualism and feminism in the dominant culture today. And inside those assaults is the precept, the heresy really, that God is unknowable. And because God is unknowable, we can't know ourselves. In that last podcast episode we were talking about, Father Michael Marcantoni mentioned that the word heresy actually comes from the Greek verb ero, which means to choose. That means that the truth is out there, and those that subscribe to the heresy that God is unknowable are choosing to believe something very different. They're choosing to believe a lie. Yeah, and I, I really think, especially this last point, Michael, um, with the comment from Father Michael Marcantoni, is that what you feel is truth to a lot of people. And, you know, I've struggled with that myself at times. You know, oh, I feel depressed, therefore I see myself being X or Y. That's probably not true, right? Mm. You're seeing a thin veil where right. behind it is the truth. And as we've mentioned, and this isn't our idea, but Christ is the truth. Mm -hmm. The way, the truth, and the life. And so being able to rise above that discomfort of, you know, being able to speak the truth in love, not only to other people, but to yourself as well, mm. and seeing that, you know, I'm feeling this, or I think I'm feeling this, or I'm having these thoughts, or, you know, something's bugging me, and I'm letting it take control of me. You can brush all that stuff aside and take a seat. You know, it, it reminded me a little bit of when Father Michael was talking to us in our last podcast episode, and, and he was talking about an example of a child sitting at the table, mm. and uh, the child spills his cereal, and how a father might react in that situation is perhaps with anger mm -hmm. or insults or whatever. You know, maybe maybe the dad's having a, a bad day, off day, impatient day, bad day at work. But we have a choice mm. in that moment how we react. We can either let our reaction be taken control of by our feeling yeah. or we can pause. Father Michael said, you know, go for a drive, calm down, yeah. pray afterwards, which that takes an immense amount of strength. Mm. It is so easy to go for the first option. Just blow up, get, it, get upset. Ex yell. Exactly. Yeah. And what is easy isn't necessarily always what you should do. Mm. And it's also not great for growth. Yeah. And I want to go back to what I said earlier, that the greatest journey a man can undertake is the journey of self-discovery. And that's something that Father Hans has said many times. Inside that claim is the Orthodox Christian precept that as one grows closer to Christ, one gains in self-knowledge. So you want to find God? Serve your neighbor. Do you want to find yourself? Seek God. One leads to the other. You might think, I can't find God. Well, all you need to do is go and do something good for someone, and you'll find him. Yeah, I mean, it's not complicated. And I believe we've said before on this podcast, I know I've said it in my personal life, is something may be simple. It doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, but again, a choice is to be made. I want to grow closer to Christ. I want to do this. I want to become stronger. And you don't do that by sitting down, you know, chilling on the couch on a Saturday afternoon. You do that through actually making an effort to go to church, establishing a prayer rule with the guidance of your spiritual father, you know, talking to other people, following the fasting guidelines as your spiritual father prescribes you to do. And we so often will set up these barriers to taking action to do the good deeds that are a result of our faithfulness to Christ. And one thing I want to say very quickly, Michael, and briefly, is that God is not an ism. Mm. He's not an ideology. It's not about fulfilling X, Y, Z of this ideology. I have to subscribe to this economic platform. Accepting all these propositions. Yeah. Right. You don't have to do that because that's very complex. Mm. And that's also not from God, right? There are some religions that exist, whether they admit that they're a religion or not. The religion of secularism, for example, there's things that you have to abide by. Mm -hmm. There's things that you have to assimilate within your own life, you know, and that's not Orthodox Christianity. And like we said, this is a very simple concept to grasp, but we can have all these barriers in our own mind. I mean, even we can be a barrier to ourselves if we allow that to happen, if we do choose what we feel is truth rather than what is actually truth. Yeah, and what you were just saying, Bryce, it's very similar to something that Jordan Peterson has said. 
And we've brought up Jordan Peterson a few times now in previous episodes. Even in our last episode, he came up in our conversation with Father Michael and Father Joseph. And Father Joseph mentioned that Jordan Peterson has a huge following of Orthodox Christians, and he really does. There's a short YouTube video out there where Jordan Peterson actually talks about this. And in it, he says something about Orthodox Christianity that I think is one of the best definitions or summaries that I've ever heard. That video is less than four minutes long, and I think it's worth playing the full audio from that video. So let's go ahead and just play it. What is your current thinking on Orthodox Christianity? The Orthodox Christians like me. I don't know why, but I think I have some idea, I guess. Um, I've got a lot of letters from religious people, a lot of, lot from, from Muslims, from Jews, uh, from Orthodox Jews in particular, strangely enough, um, from Christian monk, monks, um, but a lot from Orthodox Christians. And I think the reason for that, as far as I can tell, is that the Orthodox look at Christianity from a slightly different angle than the Protestants and the Catholics. And I'm not putting down the Protestants and the Catholics. They have a perspective, a reason for their viewpoint. But what's happened in the West, I think, and this is a dreadful oversimplification, so please forgive me, is that the West has viewed Christianity more as a set of beliefs that are analogous in some sense to a a cognitive theory of the world. So to be a Christian in the West, you have to accept that Christ died for your sins and that you're redeemed. So you have to accept Christ as your redeemer. And that really means to state that you believe a set of propositions about Christ, that he was the son of God and that his death and resurrection, his sacrifice redeemed mankind. And that, and then you partake in that redemption by laying out that, that accordance with a set of facts, let's say. I don't, I understand why that's how it's worked out, but I think there's a big risk in that. And I don't think the Orthodox fell into that to the same degree. Their idea more, and this is there in, Protest, in Protestantism and, and Catholicism too, it's there, but it's, it's given more secondary, more implicit emphasis, and I think that's a problem, especially in the modern world. The Orthodox would say, as near as I can tell, that you should pick up your damn cross and stumble up the hill. That's your job, right? And the cross is the X where everyone is located. You're right at the center of reality. You're suffering and dying and being reborn all the time at the center of reality as you transform. And you have to accept that and embrace it. You have to, and that's a very, very hard thing to do because it means to embrace all your flaws and the flaws of reality and the tragedy of existence and your death and the sum total of human evil, all of that unbelievably demanding requirement. But you do what you can to do that. And then not only do you pick up your cross, so to speak, but you stumble uphill towards the city of God. You stumble up towards what's good. And that's your destiny. And that's where meaning is to be had. And the Orthodox lay that out quite well. That's your goal, is the imitation of Christ. And Christ is the Logos. This is the Christian story. Christ is the Logos that God uses at the beginning of time to transform pre-cosmogonic chaos into habitable order. Truthful speech. So that's the thing. You're, you're, the fact that you're capable of uttering truthful speech is an indication that you've shouldered your cross and are stumbling uphill. A very coherent theory. And the Orthodox, I think, have done a very good job of keeping that idea at the forefront of their, of their belief. And so that's what I think about Orthodox Christianity. And he wonders why the Orthodox like him so much. <laughs> because I think he hit the nail on the head. You know, like it really is a lot about stumbling up the hill. Yeah. And it's not marching up the hill necessarily. It is stumbling at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our saints have talked about, you know, have you fallen? You're going to fall. Yeah. But you don't stay face down and give up and say, oh, woe is me. Although that can be tempting at times. Yeah. You get up and then you fall again. And then you get up and you fall again. But every time you stand up, every time you fall, it looks a little different. And I think, you know, part of the spiritual struggle of life and being able to see reality as it is and kind of take things as they come to you, all your flaws, all your insecurities, all your suffering, whatever it may be, and continue marching because Christ is at the center of all of that. And it's not just marching for nothing. You know, it's not that nothing matters. Yeah. You know, it's really finding that purpose. That's so true. And I really do think that what Jordan Peterson said in that clip that we played 
is one of the best summaries and definitions of the Orthodox faith that's out there. And in doing that, in picking up your cross and in taking on the vivisitudes of life, one does indeed find God, and one does indeed find themselves. The walk with Christ is really the accepting of reality at the same time. Reality is broken. The world is broken. So how do we get our hands around the broken world? We get our hands around the broken world by picking up the cross. Because the cross then becomes the place where the healing can occur. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's hard to accept that healing needs to happen, right? I mean, it's like if you're in a bad situation and a friend is trying to help you, trying to tell you the truth, and you just won't have it. Because as Jack Nicholson once said, you can't handle the truth, <laughs> right? But maybe you can handle it. Maybe yeah. you don't need to avoid it too much. And we don't need to go anywhere or make a major life-changing decision to make up our cross. It's something that happens in the present moment, right here, right now. Not tomorrow, not you know yesterday, not in two weeks, right now. And we have all that we need right in front of us where we are. Yeah, and that's a really key point, Bryce. When you said that we have everything we need right in front of us, there's a lot of people that maybe want to try to escape their cross. They might want to try to get away from the cross that they have on their shoulders, that might mean making a drastic change in their life where they want to pick up and move to the other side of the country or or they want to change careers and completely give up a very stable income for something that might be more risky. There's that temptation to want to kind of flip things on their head when you're just not feeling it anymore. But the point is we really don't need to do any of that. Everything that we need to achieve our salvation is right in front of us where we are. And in thinking about a lot of the younger men who are out there, they've been taught almost from their infancy that there's no suffering in the world. They then go on to experience great suffering in their own lives, and then they're taught or conditioned to believe that there's no meaning in the world. Yet their souls yearn for meaning. Many of them yearn for a father, but many of them don't have a father because of divorce or because of a negligent father. Then they become 18 or 19 years old and they're already broken. They long for hope, but they no longer believe that any hope is possible. In the meantime, they grew up in a consumer society where all the energy, the predominant energy in this culture is a commercial energy. This commercial energy replaces any kind of spiritual energy and then the content of that commercial energy is really the satiation of desire. And that can take the form of things like drugs, entertainment, and pornography, and we've talked about that before. Now you tell me how this differs at all from the Soviet Union under communism. The only difference is that we have material wealth, and they did not. But the only way that the people in the Soviet Union could deal with the pain of that level of spiritual deprivation was by drinking vodka. That's really what it was. Hmm. And in the Soviet Union, the only industry that ran well was the government industry that produced vodka so that people could keep themselves sated. They were able to ease the pain in their own souls by being continually drunk because religion was suppressed. Now tell me, how much different is that today here in the United States? We just do it differently. It's the sating of the soul through things like drugs, entertainment, pornography, and other things. Yeah, and I mean, the, the church in the Soviet Union went through unimaginable horror. You know, several thousand priests being killed, several thousand churches being closed, hundreds of bishops being deposed and killed by Bolshevik officials, you know, and many stayed in the Soviet Union because they couldn't leave, and some fled to the United States, Canada, other places. That's right. And they got out of it. And the faithful who helped preserve the church in Russia under this oppression did so under an insane amount of stress. I mean, getting sent to gulag, mm -hmm. fear of death, especially in those early years. And it took people who were serious, intensely serious, about their faith to keep the church alive during that period of intense persecution. And very similarly to the early days of the church and the church today in the Middle East in some cases, yeah. the church today abroad as well. And, you know, what this makes me think of too is in the United States, people sating the soul using yeah. their drug of choice, whatever it may be. You know, some of the issue does boil down to people don't know how to have a genuine relationship with another person, mm -hmm. no matter what that looks like, and kind of dealing with relationships that you may have. The relationship might be toxic. The relationship might be in a bad place, you know, and people, instead of trying to exit those things and help other people help themselves, right, 
live a life to the full, you know, being an actual person that has wants, has needs, wants to love other people, right? Yeah. They seek out other things because it's hard to be intimate with other people, whether they just be your friends or somebody you're in a relationship with like your wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And guys today are raised in that environment I was describing, and they try to relieve the pain in their soul, but there's nobody there telling them that this kind of lifestyle is just crazy. And we're not created for this. It's really nuts. You wonder why guys walk into schools and shoot them up, or you wonder why, you know, the suicide rate is increasing among teens exponentially. It's because of a very deeply seated spiritual crisis within them that has developed since childhood. And this should tell us what our true calling is as men. This is what, if you listen to your hearts, the Lord is calling us all to. We as men are called to be fathers, each and every one of us. I don't care if you're married, if you're not married. I don't care if you have children or you don't. As we've already mentioned in a previous episode, when a man is a mentor or a guide to a younger man, it is really just a form of fatherhood. All men are called to be fathers. And all young men desire to become strong men. A man who comes in touch with his own manhood will naturally begin to father the younger. You know what this makes me think of in the church, Michael? There's a couple of things. First of all, our priests, we call them father, right? You have a spiritual father. You have someone that you confess to, somebody that you confide in, somebody that you trust to help guide you on your path. And, you know, to me, like that's something that really, I think it really addresses what the human soul needs, right? You do need that person that can help guide you in these things. Yeah. And it's not just in conversations that you may have with them or the things that they say, it's in the way in which they may carry themselves. And it's not just reserved to your priest, it's other people that you observe. My own father, the way he carries himself, he's a little more stoic than some, but I just follow that, you know, the man who has a mission, who goes and does what he needs to do. It's like serving in the altar. You know, I started serving in the altar here, gosh, almost four years ago now. And my first experience was a bit nerve-wracking because it was a job that I had to do and I had to pay attention. But we have guys in there, you know, guys my age, guys who are older than me, kids. And we don't just have them up there because it looks cool or it's aesthetic or anything else. There's a purpose in everything in orthodoxy. And with altar servers too, you have a job that you fulfill. You have a purpose while you're up there. And it's also about preparing some men if they so choose, if that is their calling, if that is their vocation to go to the priesthood or the diaconate, you know, that is preparing them for something more. And I think, you know, this is applicable in other areas of life, right? How you live your life, the example that you set for other people, for your friends, for your children, if you have them, for younger men, for teenagers, that's what matters. And that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. And that doesn't mean that you need to carry yourself as if you are perfect. But what it does mean is accepting that, Everything that comes to you, right? Like Jordan Peterson says, you take all that stuff, you acknowledge it, and you go through. Yeah, and when we talk about fatherhood and about mentoring, I just know that for many of the men listening in their hearts, it's really stirring their souls because these words confirm and reveal the essential structure of creation and the structure of our souls and how God created us. It's important to understand that the growth into fatherhood First, the growth into manhood, and healthy manhood always manifests itself in fatherhood, is because it's congruent with the fundamental structure of creation. We must remember that God is Father, and that fatherhood radiates through the whole creation because the Son creates by the will of the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that creation has shape and character and content and meaning. It's 3D. It's it's not just an idea. It's reality. It's something that we step into. It's something that we drink in, but it's also something that we give. God is Father, and patriarchy is the structure by which the benevolence and created power of God is brought into the world. And so when Father Hans talks about, you know, the attacks on manhood and patriarchy by homosexualism and feminism, what's really happening is the attempt to obscure and fundamentally obliterate the cultural memory of the fatherhood of God. This makes me think a little bit, Michael, of, you know, there's this concept that the devil knows that he cannot fight God and win, right? You cannot kill that which cannot be killed, cannot be destroyed. And so you can't kill him, but you can remove him from the culture. And in secular society, I mean, the very fact that secular society exists is a removal from God, 
right? And so this makes me think of when Friedrich Nietzsche was first writing about nihilism. There's the famous statement that God is dead and the society killed him, Mm. is what he wrote. And that God would be replaced within the society by a different concept. And so with that, I mean, I really do think that there are some in secular society who may see different versions of God, different versions of what it looks like. Very rarely is it God the Father, and very rarely, if it is God the Father, is it an accurate depiction of who he is. Mm. Yeah, and I love what you said about the fact that the devil can't attack God and win. The devil really can't destroy God, and the best he can hope for is to destroy our own concept of manhood and make us emasculated eunuchs, no longer sons of God, but praying eunuchs. And the truth is, in the churches where that's happened, and it's all in those liberal Protestant communions, when that happens, the real men check out. They really check out. They don't want any of that. And if that were to happen in orthodoxy, God forbid, we'd check out because we're not made for that. I don't think it will, but it could. If men are not men, it can happen. So we have to be vigilant. The reason you see the fall of the Episcopalian Church and some of these other Christian communions, the reason you see you know, such a crisis in the Roman Catholic Church, it's really it's a failure of manhood. And when manhood fails, culture fails. Now, can you feel the self-censoring as I say that inside of you? Do you realize how radical it is to state the truth these days? You could feel it, right? I can't believe he's saying that is the thought that might come to your mind. Sometimes the things that need to be said are the things that are hardest to say. What this makes me think of, Michael, is these concepts of compelled speech or compelled silence, right? There's a kind of societal expectation in which you are to talk, in which you are to raise your voice, and there's another area in which you are to be quiet. Mm -hmm. You are not to share your opinion. There's also things that I feel like we're pressured into saying or agreeing with, or times that we're just expected to just not say a thing. Right. And, you know, in our last podcast with Father Michael and Father Joseph, Father Michael had said that everyone tends to be relativist. You know, the idea that there is no truth, the idea that, you know, you can live your truth, you Mm -hmm. can do this or that, and there's nothing that's absolute. And everybody's relativist until you touch the thing in which they care specifically about. And then they become very dogmatic. Father Michael said that everybody has sacred cows yeah. that cannot be touched. And, you know, especially when people are consumed by politics, consumed by ideology, consumed by things of the world, whether you may think that they are good or they are bad, that's where it happens. And I do think that this creates a minefield that we all tend to walk through at the workplace, wherever we may end up being within our friend groups, perhaps at school. You know, it's something that's pretty widespread. And if the pressure is real, which for some it really is, then it can be something that's really hard to walk through. Yeah, that's true. And and in our efforts to recover manhood, to restore it, we need to, as Jordan Peterson says, we need to speak the truth or at least don't lie. That's something famous that we even talked about in our last episode, a quote from Jordan Peterson. We also must take back the spirit of true fatherhood by becoming icons of God the Father through our own fatherhood. And I can tell you from experience, if you embrace it, the joy and the blessings are just out of this world. They bring meaning and purpose to your life. But here's the most important point. In order to respond to this calling, you've got to get your own life in order first. You will not get your own life in order unless you first make a commitment to someone else. And that someone else will first be Christ, but then it has to be another person. And if you commit to Christ and say, yeah, I'm going to get my own life in order to help this person or that person, then your commitment to this person or to that person will end up compelling you to keep your own life in order as well. That is the secret ingredient to transformation. It isn't about doing it all on our own and just for ourselves. It is that commitment to another person that helps to drive us, especially during the hard times, as we take up our cross and stumble up the hill towards the kingdom of God. I think it can be tempting at times to adopt the rugged individual mindset, a very American concept when thinking of getting your own life in order. I can do this myself. I don't need any help. This is my battle that I have to fight. I have to do everything alone. And through that, change grows. 
And in some cases, perhaps, there are things that you may have to experience by yourself. Are you ever truly alone, though? Christ and the saints are always with us, right? But what I think is important to remember is being able to explicitly say to another, I am responsible for you. Obviously, you don't come and do this out of the blue, right? You don't just say it perhaps exactly like that. But I think of the joy that I have in some relationships that I have with some of my friends where I say, I am responsible for you. You are my brother. You don't have to go through this alone. I've had that happen to me as well, where somebody told me, I'm responsible for you, and I'm not leaving until you get things in order, because you can't do it by yourself. And especially if you're someone who tends to live in your own mind, somebody who tends to be engulfed by these thoughts that are not your own, wanting to do things by yourself, not knowing where to look, it can be simple as reaching out to somebody and taking responsibility for them, and they're taking responsibility for you. Because relationships are not one-sided, right? Everything works in tandem with one another. And again, we've said this before on prior episodes, these things seem very complex. These things are not complex. They're simple, but they're not easy to accomplish. And it does take the risk of saying, I am responsible for you, or reaching out saying, I need this help. And you can grow together. I think of David and Jonathan and their relationship, how they took accountability for one another and they helped each other. Jonathan even saving David from his father, King Saul. This is something that is an important concept that I think that we can look to, looking to the saints, looking to the scriptures, looking to Christ himself as we go through our lives and our relationships and beginning to gain order in a world that seems like chaos. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Please remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that website, as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on any of the major podcasting platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'd also appreciate a positive review if your platform allows for it. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word. If anyone would like to send us any feedback, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.